This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. There was a man in a car in the opening scene of a movie that I saw many, many years ago. He was stuck in Los Angeles rush hour traffic, 10 lanes across, cars honking, brake lights constantly flashing, stop and start, stop and start. The sun was beating down on him. Uh, He's got sweat forming on his forehead. He's got kind of thick framed glasses, a a white dress shirt, uh, short sleeves, a tie, working class shoes, working class car. Uh, And you can just see from his expression that he's getting agitated uh, from the rush hour traffic and the, and the people are yelling. um, And, and and it just, and the camera keeps cutting uh, from all the the things that are, are are serving to just uh, make it more and more uh, full of pressure. And you can see now that it's not just the traffic in his life, but he's thinking about all the pressures he's facing. He's thinking about his job, his family. He's thinking about, um, now, all the ways his life doesn't have meaning or purpose right now. And he, if being trapped in the car in rush hour uh, is really just a kind of a metaphor now for his, his life is making him feel trapped. And so as the distress builds and the honking and the yelling goes on, you, you see on his face that it just starts to overflow. And then suddenly he just snaps, he just parks his car right in the middle of the freeway, gets out and just walks away. And uh, the rest of the movie kind of unfolds as, as he's disconnected from, from anything and, and, and it t- kind of takes it from there. He doesn't really care about anything anymore because he just lost it. And I think th- that the, the audience who this was designed for can relate to these feelings and we can relate to these feelings to some extent. At some point, we've all kind of struggled with the meaning of our relationships, uh, the purpose of our jobs, the emptiness of our routines. We struggle with our identities and our habits Uh, And we need a fresh perspective. And today we're going to learn about the God perspective. We're going to need to connect our life to its eternal purpose. And and God can help us with that. And the God perspective involves knowing God's plan, exercising God's power, and believing in God's person. And the God perspective asks the question, is God playing a part in my story or am I playing a part in God's story? The, qu- the question that we're asking is, is God playing a part in my story, or am I playing a part in God's story? And the answer to that question is that we need to be playing a part in God's story. And we don't want to be at the center of, of trying to control God and bring him in and out of our lives. So uh, in order to hear the message and the impact of the message this morning, we want to get our hearts right on that issue. We want to be able to have our lives submitted to God so that we can be a part of his story. And we see the nation of Israel struggling uh, with the same question and struggling to have the God perspective uh, as they face the opportunity of entering the promised land. And although this was a place of blessing in accordance with God's plan, they struggled with their perspective. And in Numbers chapter 13, uh, we see the story pick up after they had been traveling in the wilderness for over a year following their escape from Egypt. They had sent out 12 spies to explore the land. And let's see what the spies say and how the people are going to respond. So at the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. 
they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And there they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. And they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does overflow with milk and honey. And here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the people who had gone up with him said, we cannot attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, they, the land we explored devours those living in it. And all the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. And we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. So this brings us to the opportunity. This report describes uh, the way the nation of Israel is going to receive their opportunity. And it's going to be based on their perspective. They should know that they are in the center of God's plan. That the promised land was something God promised to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. And he repeated that promise to Isaac, to Jacob, and on to their forefathers and throughout their time in Egypt. And then God delivered them from Egypt with a mighty hand. And God made them into a priestly nation. As he took them through the wilderness, he organized them into a nation with laws. And in Numbers, we read that he arranged them for battle. He set them in army divisions. And now they're at that point where they could look back and they could see God provided them with food, water, safety. He's taken us uh, according to his promises as a nation for hundreds of years. And his presence is with him. He leads them in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And they should know that they are in the center of God's plan. And they should know that the promised land is a place of blessing. The land is prosperous. The fruit is amazing. And yes, the people are large. They're strong. The cities are big, strong, fortified. But being in God's plan and, in, and going into the place of blessing will involve battle. And in battle, they will need God's power and they will need God's presence. And we just, as we describe the characteristics of this opportunity, we need to identify our own opportunity. Our opportunity will line up with the plan of scripture. It will be of eternal significance and it will be dependent on God to work out. A Christ follower who is a part of God's story will know his or her opportunities clearly and specifically. And if we need to figure out the opportunity in our lives, we're going to ask ourselves these questions. Where is God leading me? Is it in God's general plan, in God's will? And God rarely sends people all alone. So who, who is a part of that plan that you're exploring? Is God equipping you for that opportunity? We should know our opportunities clearly and specifically. And so let's read on into the, see their response here in, in verse 1. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept out loud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us into this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? 
And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And so their response was one of unbelief. And, and what I, I am describing that they're going through is what I'm going to call the continuum of unbelief. And it started with them focusing on the obstacles and the challenges while ignoring God's plan. We know that they should have known it was God's plan to be here, but obviously that's not what filled their thoughts in their mind. What filled their thoughts in their mind was their challenges and their obstacles and how strong the people were. And we see in the spies' report uh, how much of attention was getting paid uh, to the size of the people and, and the, the, uh, the, the cities and, and how, how prepared those people were to, to beat the Israelites um, instead of seeing what God could be doing and how God's plan worked out. And so it starts with focusing on the obstacles and the challenges and then the continuum of unbelief will continue to the point where you become overwhelmed and irrational. And the Israelites uh, were up all night raising their voices and weeping out loud and they've taken some of the facts from the report and they've started to exaggerate them. And finally, they're starting to believe things that are just downright lies because when they see nothing but obstacles, it becomes very overwhelming. And when they start to react to that, uh, they start losing the truth. And, and the truth that they're now telling themselves is that God's going to uh, lead them to death in battle and their wives and children are going to be taken with plunder. And that's a, that's a corrupt truth in their heads. They're not believing that God has the power to overcome uh, the obstacles, overcome their enemies. To, God doesn't have the power to advance his kingdom. So they go from focusing on the, on the wrong thing to being overwhelmed by it. And the next thing on the continuum is that they start experiencing a crisis. They're weeping out loud for the entirety of the night. They're in hysteria. They're wishing for death. They're, they're wishing that they had death already in the wilderness or in Egypt. And, and so they're, they're completely unstable now. Their, their minds are unstable. Their emotions are unstable. And they're spiritually unstable. And they, they're in a complete crisis because they've distanced themselves from God. And, then, and the final continuum step is that they just decide to rebel. And they're going to make their own plans. They're going to be a part of their own story now. And they're going to decide where they're going to go and, and pick a new leader. And so how do we experience that response of unbelief? How do we go through that continuum? Well, we go through that continuum the same way as the Israelites do when we're ignorant of the truths of God. There's many generations of people throughout history who have lost their way simply because they didn't know God's word. Do we know the plan of salvation? Are we obeying all of what God has commanded us? Do we spend more time focusing on the challenges of this world than we do on the studying of the promises of God? Do we make God's word the meditation of our mind? Or do we constantly ask ourselves how to make our life better or easier or more enjoyable? And we got to think, what's the ratio of, of difference in time between putting a screen in front of our face and entertaining ourselves or spending time learning about God? So we also respond similar to the Israelites in unbelief when we become overwhelmed by everyday things that God has power over. Do financial concerns seem to have more power than God? Do health concerns seem to have more power than God? Do relationship concerns seem to have more power than God? We respond in unbelief when we fail to engage in battle with his power by believing he isn't strong enough. 
And we respond also in unbelief when we separate from God. Is God only a part of your life after work? Is God only a part of your life at church? Or is God only a part of your life on the weekend or during your devotional time? Do you pray without ceasing? Is the practice of limiting God's presence in your life to only certain times and certain moments and certain places, that would be an act of separating from him and distancing from him. And so this continuum takes our mind off of God and onto our challenges. From there, we fail to engage in battle because we don't believe we will be victorious in God. By thinking the challenges are more powerful than God, we become overwhelmed and irrational and often let the truth become distorted. And we separate in our relationship with God uh, by making him distant from our everyday thoughts. And as a result, we allow ourselves to become unstable. And ultimately, that would lead to our, our demise. So now let's see what the response of faith is. As we read on in verse 5. Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, were among those who had explored the land. And they tore their clothes and they said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. And we see the leader's response of faith captured when they said, if the Lord is pleased with us, then he will lead us and bring us to that land. And the leaders showed that they had faith in God's plan. They know that God had a plan. They know that what he had promised through Abraham, through Moses, how he led them out of Egypt, he just established a covenant relationship with his people. And they knew from the recent events of the past year that to ignore the word of God has tragic results. And the leaders responded in faith because they knew God's power. They told the people that God could certainly deliver the land into their hands. The people of that land were not too much for God to handle. A large person or a small person or a giant person will not compare in power to our almighty God. And that is what God promised he was going to do and give them victory in battle. They also showed faith in God's person. They knew that God was interested in making the nation of Israel Um, a nation of priests. And he wanted the people to draw near to him and to repent of their sins. And the leaders tried to bridge the gap between God and the sinful attitudes of the rebellion. And they interceded and represented God acting on his behalf. So let's look at the response between the leaders and the people and see the parallels. One of them faced what they imagined would be death in the battle where their wives and their children would be taken. And the others, the leaders, they actually faced the real threat of the people stoning them. Now, upon imagining a certain death in battle, they became hysterical and and were worried about self-preservation. When the leaders were faced with the fact that they might be stoned, they fell on their faces and they tried to exhort the people to follow God. 
They didn't run away to try to preserve their lives. They actually interceded on behalf of someone else. So they gave up in humility. They gave up the idea of controlling their own lives by submitting to God's plan. And they knew that God's had a plan and the power, and they were trying to get the others to go along and understand that. And so they laid down their lives, and death wasn't their obstacle. The people weren't their obstacle. But they placed themselves in the way of God to allow his power and presence to determine the outcome. And so how should we respond? We, we should respond by uh, knowing God's plan, exercising God's power, and believing in God's person. We need to respond in faith by having that God perspective. So we want to know God's plan. We need to know his redemptive unfolding plan that gave us Christ as salvation. And we need to know how God is glorified through us and, and how that plan unfolds eternally. And we want to look forward in our present time to the return of Christ and the day that we will reign with him. And as we explore the scriptures, we're going to see that there's a large percentage of scripture devoted to prophecy. And the reason it's there is so that we can have a peace and a security that God has fulfilled his prophecy in the past. He's got a plan for us right now, and he's going to fill that, fulfill that plan in the future. And we can know the future and we can find comfort in the future. And as we see in Revelation chapter 21, verse 5 through 7, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. He said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. And the second thing that we do in response and faith is to exercise God's power. God's power defines who he is. God is the God above all gods. He is the king above all kings. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is sovereign. He is eternal. And we, when we un want to understand God's power, we understand that he transcends uh, the, our world. He is above and beyond it. But yet he's chosen to become a part of our world, revealing himself and giving us power through his son and his Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and in the gods of the nations around Israel uh, were gods that they thought were the gods of the sea or the gods of the trees or the gods of the hills. And they were tied into each of those elements and they were confined to the, the rules of our world. And you could control those gods and manipulate those gods through this type of sacrifice and, and by doing these actions. And, and, and they wanted to keep making the God of Israel similar to these other types of gods. And yet God kept showing them that he is a transcendent God above all those things. There is nothing that can even uh, compare in power to, to our God. And so when we want to exercise God's power, we have to understand who he is and how he is not similar to other gods uh, that people want to serve. And he's also supplied us with power for, in two ways. Inwardly, we have the power uh, to, to start achieving personal holiness by having victory over our sin nature. 
You know, we heard several weeks ago that the, there's a line down every human heart between the good uh, and the evil. And as a Christ follower, we have the Holy Spirit in us to work towards sanctification. And working towards our personal holiness is one way that God's power can be alive in us. And, the, and that's our inward direction. And the outward direction is that we need God's power to advance the kingdom in the lives of others, in love and in service. And we need to use those two aspects, the inward and the outward, to motivate each other. You don't want to be the Christian that just sits at home always thinking inwardly and never serving others. And you want to go out there to serve others and have them see that in your heart, you haven't had victory in the areas that you, you, you needed to have victory on. So when we want to serve others, we want to have the, uh, something to share with them that shows that God's got the victory in our lives and he can have the victory in their lives. And a third aspect of responding in faith is believing in God's person. Instead of thinking of God as being distant and powerful above the world, he created everything and then he, he sat at a distance. Uh, we need to understand that he is that powerful God, but he's also the God who is with us who delights in us, who has a, wants to have a personal relationship with us. We know that the human condition of loneliness is universal and God is that missing piece in our hearts. He wants to communicate with us. He wants us to pray and listen to him and he listens to us and, and we can go back and forth and, ha- and get to know him deeper in more, in more meaningful ways. So we have to believe in God's person so that as God becomes alive in us, we can represent him to others. And when people know an example of God's love, it'll be through the people who carry God's person to them and God's carrying God's love to them, the way we saw the leaders of Israel do. And all three aspects of the God perspective are summed up in Luke chapter 24, verse 44 through 49. Jesus speaking, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them then that this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. And you are the witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. You see the knowledge of God's plan, the way he opened their minds to the understanding of scriptures, the way he referred to the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalm that they, they can fulfill what is written. We see the knowledge of God's plan in there. We see the power of God in there. The power of God over death who, who took the Messiah, raised him from the dead on the third day. And the power of God in, in, in sharing uh, the Holy Spirit from on high. And we see the person of God, not just in Jesus who dwelt among humans and became friends and had disciples and a family, uh, but also the Holy Spirit who draws near to us. And in those, in those three ways, we see the God perspective. And so today we're going to apply to our lives. We, uh, we're going to apply the message of the God perspective. And we're going to want to answer that question. Um, is God a part of my story or am I a part of God's story? By answering, I want to be a part of God's story. And I want to identify 
opportunities to boldly advance God's kingdom. I want to know what they are specifically and clearly. And if I don't know now, and if I'm not what I consider a part of those opportunities, uh, I'm going to put myself humbly before God and ask that he would show me and, know, and have something so clear I could write it down. I'm going to want to, we want to liberate ourselves from the continuum of unbelief. Where instead of focusing on our obstacles, we want to meditate on God's plan. Instead of being overwhelmed by irrational thoughts um, and corrupt truth, we're going to believe in God's power and engage in battle. Instead of being overwhelmed as that leads to a crisis of instability and mentally and spiritually and emotionally uh, coming apart, what we're going to do is not distance ourselves from God, but rather uh, draw near to God and be a part of his presence by seeking out to know his plan and believe in his power and put him at the foundation of our thoughts. And so by doing those types of things, uh, we're going to see the three things of the God perspective. Knowing God's plan, equipping yourself to the fullest to know God's plan. We don't want to be casual about that. We don't want to just, when we feel like it, open up, read a verse, and and see if we can feel a little uplifted at the moment. What can we do to equip ourselves to the fullest to to boldly pursue those opportunities? What, What could we do to have the greatest possible impact on our spiritual formation? What kind of investment can we make? It might be something structured. It might involve a commitment. It might happen over a long period of time. It might involve some kind of formal training. But think about the investment that we should be thinking about when, if we want the entirety of our lives to be a part of advancing God's kingdom, then we wouldn't just happen to fit in God time here and there like the crumbs on our calendar. Not if we're being a part of God's story. And then we can exercise God's power to courageously take not just the territory of our own heart, but also to advance the God's kingdom in the lives of others. Because our victory in personal holiness is the authentic evidence of God to others. And finally, we believe in God's person so that we are near to him and bring him near to others. And no one illustrates this better than Caleb, who we just read about. As we see in Joshua Caleb speaks, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out in battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there, that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But with the Lord helping me, I will drive them out. Let's follow the example of Caleb, who at 85 years old took on the giants of that land and captured his inheritance. Let's pray. Lord, let our hearts be humbled before you. Let us give up control of our lives in order to be used by you. Allow the completeness of who we are to be made meaningful 
as we live in step with your plan for us. Lord, bring us joy as we serve you and give us an intentional life that serves you wholeheartedly. Amen.